37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. This will be episode 284. I am Sean. It is entirely too hot to be wearing pants. And with me, as always, is Preston. Preston, buddy, how are you? What's up, all you cool ghosts and <laughs> goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos, you skeletors and skeletons, fellers and fellettes? Uh, apparently, I can be a fucking asshole sometimes. Uh, my name is Preston, <laughs> and thanks for joining us. man sorry about that yeah yeah preston got some fun fan mail so we'll go over that here in a minute but um i'm just gonna blame (laughs) alistair crowley on all this man i think we've been making fun of that guy so much that uh he just kind of goofed everything up for us because it's almost 9 15 and we're just now settling in because every single time like I find like so I said Sean let's like do this three parter and then uh-huh. like all of a sudden Facebook is like Alistair Crowley memes and then I'm like <laughs> Sean Steve boom boom uh oops my bad apparently he doesn't <laughs> like the butt jokes about his butt sex book that I he guess wrote. not man well, we're off to the races anyway. We're back. We had to take a week off just because we had a lot going on. And uh, up first with our announcements real quick, it looks like right now we're going to be streaming on Wednesday nights. New episodes will be hitting the audio channels on Fridays. With Preston and I's work schedule, uh, we just kind of had to slide things over because Sundays and Mondays weren't doing it. Tuesdays are just kind of hard to shoehorn in with Preston and his you know, his own cult meetings. And so I think Wednesdays we're going to be streaming. And I, I don't want to say it's guaranteed because every time I do that, shit hits the fan uh, and everything else. But it looks like right now Wednesday nights should be our target unless one of us is on vacation or something like that. Yeah. And again, that means we'll be dropping I mean, episodes it, in the audio on Fridays. If anything, to all you listeners out there, like, you know, if you follow us on the Instagrams, if you follow us on the old Facebook uh, yep. When we are going to go live, when we're actual adults and we plan this shit out, uh, we we do post <laughs> on those social meets so that you know what's going on. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe if you hit the like and subscribe and notification bell on YouTube, uh, regardless of our poor planning skills, uh, you'll know when we indeed go live. That way, Sean doesn't have to commit to any any nights. <laughs> right. you out, buddy. <laughs> Oh, man. No, I think we got it, man. The Wednesday seems to be the good night, and I think Fridays is just a perfectly good time to drop episodes, because that way I can chop it all up on Thursday evenings and have it into the feeds bright and early Friday. So, anyway, we are off to the races on our three-part, maybe even more than that, of Aleister Crowley. And before we get things started off, it's worth saying that we're not doing... Man, my voice cracked like it was the first time. We're not doing the whole like biography of when he was a kid to when he died in order necessarily. Because if we're honest, there are hundreds of other podcasts that have done that already. So we're not going to waste your time. But we're going to kind of give you a best of or the best that we think of Aleister Crowley's antics. Um, we're going to have a lot of, you know, I don't know, sex magic wizard duels, all sorts of other debauchery and whatnot. Before we get started, 
Let's get into a little bit of news. Preston, you said you had a news story as well? Yeah. So, my big sister, so to speak, messaged me last night with a news uh -huh. article. And uh, so I'm going to play the audio from that. and Because uh, I think you get more <laughs> out of the, the audio than me talking about it. But we got to talking. And... Uh, <laughs> She was like, I don't know, we need to talk about your views on feminism. And I'm just like, fuck. What did or didn't I say? Because, let's face it, I say a lot of shit on this, mm -hmm. on this podcast, and I don't remember 90% of it. And when I asked her, she said something snarky, and I said, oh, shit. Yep, that was probably right. That was me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it got me thinking that, you know, we picked up your brother as an executive producer, which, where the fuck were you at, Kevin, when all of our audio and uh, was going <laughs> down and uh, right, didn't right. record? I could have used you, executive producer. But she had mentioned that uh, maybe we should have uh, the elder sister on uh, to indeed fact check us from time to time and uh, let us know when we are right and when we are wrong. So... so so my brother will be the executive producer for audio engineering, and then your uh, big sister will be what HR? <laughs> I, I think so. I think that's probably. I should just Can run just everything up an HR that's stupid that I'm about to say towards mm -hmm, Beth. Mm -hmm. And Beth, I just need you. It, you know, everybody always says that they listen to the episodes, and I'm like, cool. And then she actually listened to the episodes, and then called me out on my bullshit, which mm -hmm. <laughs> fuck. God yeah. damn it. Well, Which I'd I like mean, to say, look, after after 30 years, <laughs> you should know me by now. Yeah. You, you got to throw me a bone here, Beth. You got to throw me a I, bone. I would even say, to kind of counter that but bring it back around, we've been doing this for seven years, a little over that, um, close to 300 episodes now that we've recorded. Um, I I don't feel like either of us are perfect by any means, but I would like to go on the record and say that there's been a lot of growing since the very beginning. Um, you know, we censored ourselves a lot. Not that we're idiots or bigots or, you know, complete and other pieces of crap, but I mean, society itself has changed so much in the last seven years and we quote unquote, you know, are getting out of locker room talk and trying to all have more level heads and be more understanding and respectful of each other. I did a fair bit of editing uh, ever since the very beginning, but there are a handful of episodes in the very, very beginning where we didn't do any editing. And I definitely know there was a couple times when, uh, you know, you might have thrown out the B word willy nilly or one of us may have made a bad joke. And we did get put in our place once before by our listener and friend Mindy, who made a comment that, you know, some of the things being said were a little sexist or a lot of sexist. And, you know, that kind of shed a light on it. So since then we have now I just kicked my trash can since then we have kind of uh, really reeled it in and, and stopped and kind of looked at ourselves and. But yeah, those those early episodes definitely had a little bit of uh, cringy moments in them. And from time to time, it'll still happen. And there's no excuse for it. We don't really try to cut it out. But these uh, YouTube videos definitely are a little more raw and a little more uh, unedited. So uh, I'd like to just say thanks for the tip. Thanks for the heads up. And we'll definitely uh, continue to work on that and get better. But Preston, buddy, you have you've done a pretty good job since the beginning. <laughs> you've come a long way, pal. Yeah. Uh, so thanks, uh, uh, 
Beth and uh, HR and uh, <laughs> Kevin, uh, executive producer. Yeah, I appreciate there we go. all the hard work. It takes a team a to keep affair. this thing cycling around. It takes a village to keep our idiot in his place. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, so the news article that she sent me, uh, mm-hmm. you know, let me get back up here and read this headline. South Dakota, you guys, like, you basically got Alex Jones as one of your GOP representatives. And um, I think that's fucking hilarious. I really do. Uh, so the the top. The headline of the news article is South Dakota GOP uh, representative says Montana or Mount Rushmore is a demonic portal spewing communism and witchcraft. And I'm like, oh, God. And then apparently Mm -hmm. uh, the um, one of the Native American statues is actually uh, some uh, Masonic edifice that's like helping spew communism. I don't know. Oh, as I'm scrolling down the article and I'm reading all this, I'm like, oh, my God. And then I got to the video. So that's what I'm going to play for you all now is the audio from the video. Uh, thank me later. Here we go. <laughs> you go back and do some history on Mount Rushmore. It actually is a Freemason shrine. Then what the Lord revealed to me is that this Mount Rushmore has a direct ley line to Washington, D.C. And he said basically that as we continue to work in prayer and do the work of the ministry that god was going to break that connection because it's like in order to understand the spiritual realm of what we're facing we have to realize that in order for the enemy to do anything he needs the agreement of human beings like in order to be empowered to do more damage he needs the agreement of human beings and oftentimes that comes in the form of an altar an active altar that's acts as a portal for demonic things what we're really dealing with in that portal is communism that witchcraft altar and those things that are happening in the black hills is what we're really dealing with is communism it's the ideology and all the demonic entities and spirits behind that. Hmm. So, there you have it. And that was Alex Jones? No, I don't. But he reminds <laughs> me of Alex Jones because Alex oh, Jones always, okay, yeah. always said that shit. He's like, the demons are taking over and they're tur- they're putting chemicals in the water and they're turning the frogs gay. Demons are everywhere, everybody. And that's like that's basically what this guy's doing right now. He's just like Mount Rushmore is a portal for demons, and they're bringing the commies over here to the United States. Our once great nation. <laughs> well, you know, you got Ron Riggles or whatever the guy's name was, who uh, not Ron Riggles, but that guy that uh, wanted to be in Bigfoot uh, erotica and everything else. So I mean, you know, oh yeah, I'm not really surprised yeah. by anything anymore. Yep. Nope. Maybe he's right. You know, let's leave that one little candle burning for him. Maybe he is right. Mount Rushmore is a some kind of portal. Well, speaking of the good old U.S. of A., for the first time ever, U.S. regulators have approved the sale of chicken made from animal cells grown in labs. 
Gross. to be eventually served at restaurant tables and supermarket shelves all across the country. The Agriculture Department has given the green light to Upside Foods and Good Meat, both of which are companies that have been racing for the first ever U.S.-sold meat that doesn't come from slaughtered animals, a.k.a. cell-cultivated or cell-cultured meat as it emerges from the laboratory and arrives on dinner plates. So the idea here is instead of using all the necessary land, water, and feed used to raise all the animals that we slaughter and eat, meat could now be harvested in an all-new, less impactful way. The companies both received approvals for federal inspections required to sell meat and poultry in the U.S. The action came months after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration deemed that products from both companies are now safe to eat for human consumption. So the question we have here is how exactly is lab-cultivated meat even made? Well, cultivated meat begins with cells. Upside, experts take cells from live animals, choosing those that are most likely to be the tastiest, and reproduce those cells quickly and consistently, forming high-quality meat. Then they recreate this from a master cell bank formed from a commercially available chicken cell line. Once the cell lines are selected, they're combined with broth-like mixtures that include amino acids, fatty acids, sugars, salts, vitamins, and other elements that cells need to grow naturally, a.k.a. they're cloning meat, in other words. They're making little globules of meat, and they're feeding those just like your body or my body or a chicken's body would be fed, and they're making meat. Inside the tanks that are harvested in, called cultivators, the cells then grow, proliferating quickly, and at upside, muscle and connective tissue then grows together, forming large sheets of a meat-like product. After about three weeks, the meat sheets are removed from the tanks and formed into cutlets, sausages, and other foods. Good meat cells grow into large masses, which are shaped like any range of meat products. While good meat, which already sells cultivated meat in Singapore, which is the first country allowed to use it, it turns out masses of chicken cells into cutlets, nuggets, and shredded meat and sautés sold on shelves in Singapore. But don't look for the novel meat in U.S. grocery stores anytime soon. Cultivated chicken is still more expensive than meat from whole farmed birds and cannot yet be produced on the scale like that of traditional meat. So globally, more than 150 companies currently are focusing on meat from cells, not only chicken, but pork, lamb, fish, beef, and other scientists say additional animals, all having the biggest impact on the environment. Anywho, as well to kick things off and generate newsworthy buzz, both companies mentioned earlier plan to first serve these new foods in exclusive restaurants. Upside will be partnered with San Francisco restaurant Bar Cren, and good meat dishes will be served at a Washington, D.C. restaurant ran by chef and owner Jose Andre. Company officials are quick to note the products are meat, not substitutes like the Impossible Burger or anything offered from Beyond Meat, which are made from plant proteins and other ingredients. This is legitimate 100% chicken meat. But here's what's neat about the fake meat. Upside recently prepared their cultivated meat by sautéing a chicken fillet in a white wine butter sauce with tomatoes, capers, and green onions. The finished product looked just like a chicken breast, only slightly paler than the grocery store version. 
Otherwise, it looked, cooked, smelled, and tasted like any other pan-fried poultry. Good Meat recently prepared a chicken thigh served on a bed of potato puree with mushroom vegetable demi-glaze and tiny purple cauliflower florets. Interestingly enough, Good Meat's chicken product will come pre-cooked, requiring only reheating to be used in any range of dishes. Prices, though, are still being hashed out, and one company did say they estimate the cost of their chicken grown in the lab to cost about $20 per pound, but then they argued that's pretty similar to any high-end organic chicken already bought in stores like Whole Foods. So I don't know, presto, I think of dystopian futures, and then I can't figure out, are we going to feed this cell-grown meat to the elitists or the people living in the streets? No, man, I, th I think the uh, people in the streets are going to get that shit because the elitists are going to have the money to like be able to eat the real chickens and the real cows and mm -hmm. they're going to be like mm -hmm. eat this fake shit and then that's what we're going to get <laughs> we're going to get some second rate lab grown James Franco pork chop shit <laughs> you know? right right yeah Soil you're probably right man. you're probably people. right I think the vicious circle we're going to see here is like yeah we need other protein substitutes that are going to be sustainable and easily, you know, reproduced like mealyworms or whatever. But the problem you're going to have is the people investing all the time and money into these cell-grown meats are going to want to get their profits on the back end. And so we're not going to be helping anybody out. We're not going to be solving world hunger. We're just going to keep on just pushing profit lines higher and higher. And so the people like us are not going to really benefit from it. We're still going to have to eat good old-fashioned farting yeah. cows and farting chickens. Well, that's that's the other thing too. So let's say you get to the point to where you can genetically, like, if you're eating a cloned cow, so let's just say that you could go in and genetically alter the cow to where it doesn't fart as much, uh, you mm -hmm. know, it doesn't take as long to gestate, uh, doesn't require as much water. Is that any different than synthetic grown just meat by itself? Because, I mean, they're still altering uh -huh. it. And what are the long-term effects of that? Like, I don't know. I don't know how my body's going to process that. I mean, mm. all the shit that we put in processed foods now, some say that that's probably why you have an increase of cancers and autism and other right. things because our bodies mm -hmm. aren't meant to have this shit. We're like, fuck yeah, Oreos, microwave <laughs> popcorn. <laughs> yeah, sad but true, man. Sad but true. I, it's fascinating to me because it seems like it's done in a very similar fashion as when they were growing, like, you know, human tissue and body parts in labs as well for, you know, like they grew a human ear on the back of a rat and all this kind of stuff. And we're making organs that we might be able to use to harvest eventually. It's done the same way. You know, we're feeding those cells with, you know, amino acids and sugars and stuff like just like we would feed our own bodies and muscles. So... It's pretty neat how we go from like, hey, we're going to have a never-ending supply of hearts and other bodily organs for transplants to, you think we could eat it? <laughs> and then, you know, that brings me to the next quick question here. How soon before we start cannibalizing human-grown lab meat, you know? Is it, is it cannibalism if I'm not slaughtering somebody and eating them like I would a deer? If I'm just eating, you know, lab meat? Yeah. The world may never know. From CNN.com, a former morgue manager at Harvard Medical School is now facing federal charges for allegedly stealing, selling, and shipping human body parts. 
Cedric Lodge, 55 years old, who worked at the medical school's morgue in Boston, stole dissected portions of donated cadavers, including heads, brains, skin, bones, and other human remains, without the knowledge or permission of the school, and then removed those remains from the Morgan, Massachusetts, and transported them back to his residence in New Hampshire. Lodge allegedly conspired with his wife, Denise, who's also 63 years old, to sell the human remains to other people, including Katrina McLean, 44, and Joshua Taylor, 46, according to the federal indictment. McLean is the owner of Cat's Creepy Creations, a store in Peabody, Massachusetts, where she allegedly sold the stolen body parts to others. Lodges, McLean, and Taylor are all being charged in the indictment with conspiracy and interstate transport of stolen goods. Theft and trafficking of human remains strikes at the very essence of what makes us human. It is particularly egregious that so many of the victims here volunteered to allow their remains to be used to educate medical professionals and advance the interest of science and healing. For those to then be taken advantage of in the name of profit is absolutely appalling. Federal prosecutors said in the news release that three other people also face charges in a separate indictment in connection to the same exact case, including a person who was previously indicted in Arkansas. So holy shit, I think we're going to see a lot more of this stuff, dude. Speaking of keeping creepy shit in jars, um, you need to watch out where you're getting your, uh, your cat heads, buddy. You know, I had my podcast studio set up to where I, I had my one monitor up here and I had my mm-hmm. other monitor like right here and everything was very well centered. Well, my son decided to come down to the old podcast on Father's Day and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't know what he was doing. But anyways, my uh, curved Samsung $300 monitor that I bought like four months ago that I was in love mm-hmm. with somehow fell off its stand and uh cracked Mm. and so daddy had to uh figure out last minute adjustments and so now i have a bigger tv which doesn't really mount the camera very well so i kind of had to finagle it and off to the side so i figured Mm -hmm. you know what side profile is probably more pleasant on me than you know i'm a little wider from the front so that's it (laughs) still me more flattering just angle. a better angle yep <laughs> more flattering angles exactly exactly yeah. well let's get on to it man shall we alistair crowley part one this fucking guy yeah i know right so part one of our series on the not so great alistair crowley also pronounced crowley aka baphomet the Great B666, Mega Therion, and Caligula 2. Like we said last time, Crowley was a pretty interesting fellow who was uh, had a pretty big hard-on for anti-religion from the get-go. He was either kicked out of or chose to leave countless Christian schools from an early age all the way into his college years. But beyond his quest to protest organized religion... He also set record-setting mountain climber records, plus he was a painter, a poet, and of course, an infamous occultist. So first thing first here, Preston, what the heck brought us here? Why exactly are we on the topic of Aleister Crowley? I asked myself that question too, and I realized that we haven't really 
done a good job over the past years of deep diving certain topics. And I'm like, fuck it, why not? And then I got to researching Aleister Crowley and realized that there's been a resurgence in interest in this guy, especially his relationship with the god Pan and sex magic and weird stuff. And some people have even tried to recreate his secret rituals and practices, hoping to tap into that spiritual energy. And, you know, who the fuck can blame him? There's a lot Mm -hmm. of interesting stuff that would make people attracted to Crowley and his uh, religion of Thelma. So, um, fuck it. Let's do this. Let's hit it hard, you know? (laughs) Is it Thelma or Thelema? Ah, fuck. Who knows? Crowley, (laughs) Crowley, Thelma, Thelema. (laughs) I think Thelema is more important. Tomato, (laughs) tomato. Well, first of all, for a guy who supposedly hates organized religion, I think it's really funny how exactly Crowley managed to discover his guidelines for his own religion of Thelema, a.k.a. the Book of the Law. Apparently back on April, in April of 1904, on three separate days, April 8th, 9th, and 10th, Crowley claims that he received a prolific and prophetic text from an ethereal entity called Iwas of which announced a new spiritual eon for mankind was about to emerge, which superseded any of the Abrahamic religions themselves. What do we say, Thelema? Thelma? Yeah, let's go with Thelema. Thelema was a special hodgepodge of ideas borrowed from tarot, astrology, yoga, alchemy, Hinduism, Taoism, Kabbalah, the I Ching, Gnosticism, Christianity, Rosicrucianism and the ancient religions of Greece, Rome, and Egypt. Woo! Talk about a spiritual buffet. Yeah. <laughs> Get a little bit of everything. Fill that spiritual plate up, baby. It's more of a spiritual mutt, though, to me, like a real Heinz 57s of belief systems. So Thelema was the belief of one's will. Do what thou wilt, and if we were to all follow our own will and rid ourselves of repression, authority, and inhibition, then society would just flourish into some fucking utopia. Crowley believed that by tapping into the primal forces of nature, symbolized by Pan, he could unlock his full potential as a magician and a spiritual seeker. And how did he do this? Well, through various magical ceremonies and other workings that relied on wine, women, and song. And for those of you that need more detail, that's basically sex, drug, and alcohol. Yep, the winning combo right there. (laughs) Yep, yep. Maybe throw in a little bit of rock and roll towards the end of this whole uh, trilogy of episodes we're doing. Anyway, presto, our listeners and viewers can't see the notes here, but you spelled magic with a K at the end, and uh, as in sex magic, and I think that normally it's important to note I would be berating you on how you mispronounce another word, just so I could have a leg up on you before I do the same. And then I would go into some kind of tirade about you and your dear chatbot AI, Jerry. But once again, um, I thought you spit in the face of good grammar, but then I had egg on my face because it turns out here that magic with a C and magic with the K are entirely two different things. So to dumb it down for people like myself. Yeah. To the unassuming, either spelling could simply be interchanged, but magic with the C and magic with the K actually have two distinct differences in their meanings and the connotations. Good old-fashioned magic with the C is considered to be one of the oldest tried-and-true forms of magic, using sleight of hand, smoke and mirrors, and even Merlinic sorcery a la Houdini, Siegfried Roy, Chris Angel, and David Blaine. 
It's a term so broad it can refer to any kind of supernatural or mystical power, as well as illusions and tricks used in stage performances. But, that's a big but with two T's. Magic with a K, on the other hand, refers to more specifically supernatural workings that use willpower to better the person and move them toward their own true will and or true destiny. Kind of like in Thelema. And essentially, mm. it also, coincidentally, was actually Aleister Crowley himself who's credited with originally using this spelling as a way to differentiate between hack job carnival flim flam entertainers and his super sexy techniques for harnessing his truest potential as the ultimate sorcerer supreme. Oh, get out of here. You're no Doctor Strange. Fuck off. <laughs> There's only right, one Doctor right. Strange. <laughs> but of course, along with world domination and a hodgepodge wackadoo pseudo religion, also comes a little bit of controversy. And despite that controversy, Crowley's beliefs and practices, his encounter with Pan had a profound impact on his life and work. He even went as far as to write a book called The Book of Pan. <laughs> Edgy name. It's also worth noting here, this is, of course, yes, folks, the Pan you're thinking of, the satyr, half-fun goat man himself, who apparently was quite a little horny bastard himself. Yeah. Anyways, to explore the nature of the god and his role in spiritual practice for Cali, Crowley, Pan was the age, age, Agia Pan, the all-great goat god, the all-devourer, the all-begetter. I don't know. I guess he sounds like a party animal or some shit. Enough you to know. get Crowley's juices flowing anyway. Yeah, I feel like if uh, if anybody was trying to sell, like what this reminds me of is like Trump trying to sell it. He's the best. He's the best god there is. He's big. He's good. He's the all pad, the all god, the great goat. You'll love him. I love him. Everybody loves him. My uncle knows goats, and he knows gods. He's a good guy, this pad. <laughs> yeah. My uncle was a demigod. Some say the best demigod. <laughs> anyway, it's wild to me that Pan shows up in so many areas of the supernatural and the paranormal, because if everybody remembers back in Greg and Dana Newkirk's documentary, Hellier, Pan shows up there as well. So what exactly is it about this little half-man, half-goat satyr that makes him just so fucking special to Mr. Crowley? In advance publicity for rights, Crowley declared. I don't know how this guy talks yet, so we're just going to read this how I imagined him to talk. We are the poets. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. We are the poets. We are the children of the wood and stream, of mists and mountain, of sun and wind. We are the Greeks. And to us, the rites of Ulysses should open the doors to heaven, and we shall enter in and see God face to face. Anyways, his aim was to contact the spirit of the infinite, the all-great Pan, which would, of course, be achieved by means of performing a dance in the moonlight before Dionysus and delight under the stars of Aphrodite. And to break things down for all you laymen out there like myself, it was going to be a whole lot of drinking, and a whole lot of fucking, because we got Dionysus, a.k.a. the god of wine and fertility and Aphrodite. Let's not forget the goddess of lust, beauty, and pleasure. So this guy, all in all, was just one big old horn dog. Of course, my sexual magic ritual must be done to impress the two gods of debauchery. That's just how it is. It's definitely not just a selfish excuse to have a drunken orgy. 
spoiler alert, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Over each of the seven weeks of the performance, a rite for a different classic god was celebrated, being Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sol, Venus, Mercury, and Luna. Within these rites, other gods were prominent. For example, Isis was the center of the rites of Venus and, and Pan to the rite of Luna. A year earlier, Crowley had staged other rites at which at Nuremberg, which uh, he had performed the dance of Cyrix and Pan to honor Lady Athema. The great god Pan was, uh, was, Crowley had to admit, the most powerful enchantment ever written. Recounting how he wrote in the Book of Lies in 1913, he ecstatically described how he felt. The perfume of Pan pervading, the taste of him utterly filling my mouth, so the tongue breaks forth into weird and monstrous speech. The embrace of him is so intense in every center of pain and pleasure. Well, sounds like uh, we need to tell old Clive Barker to move over and watch out Pinhead, because we got ourselves a badass over here. This guy seems to really like to mix his pleasure and pain, and he's quite the busy disco boy. Yeah, when he says the taste of him, I, f I feel like mm -hmm. Pan just fucking jizz like right in his mouth, like gave him a load, like mm -hmm. taste my godhood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> honestly, man, speaking of uh, risky business, I'm wondering if it's not the back door he's talking about, because old Crowley was a pretty big fan of the old uh, fudge maker, too. He liked himself some poopy play. Oh, yeah. So... By the times uh, the 20s rolled around, Crowley had already joined the clandestine metaphysical temple, the Golden Dawn, and had a bazillion affairs with mostly women, but also some dudes. Uh -huh, uh -huh. He had prolifically penned many poems and plays, novels, memoirs, and important spiritual writings. All had been initiated uh, and had been initiated into Freemasonry. Climbed some fucking mountains, traveled the globe, studied Buddhism, took up yoga, got into Islamic mysticism, founded a published company. Fuck, dude. Did a lot of drugs. <laughs> more drugs than even Hunter S. Thompson. Mm -hmm. And blew through his inheritance. Also, while founding a couple of occult religions, doing a blood sacrifice in the African desert, digging deeper uh, into uh, sex magic, producing an ongoing musical performance for a trope of female violinists, writing for Vanity Fair, translating the uh, Tao Jing, and of course, taking up painting because, fuck it, you gotta have a hobby, you know? <laughs> yeah, Jack man. of all trades. All work. You gotta do it all. Yeah. All work and no play makes Alistair a dull, horny boy, apparently. And uh, speaking of painting, uh, Crowley decorated the walls of his home in Greece with murals of his very own design. One depicted a man being penetrated by Pan, his ejaculate mm. falling onto the body of his scarlet woman, his sexual and magic partner. And even though Crowley had an obvious hard-on for the little horny goat god, his relationship <laughs> with Pan was without its detractors. Many of his contemporaries accuse him of promoting dangerous and immoral practices with their rituals, and some people even accuse him of worshipping the devil. But Crowley was unapologetic about his beliefs and with his encounters with Pan, and everything was a central part of his philosophy. He even declared that he wanted to seduce the boys of England and get them to join him in the renewed worship of Pan, thereby bringing about the new heaven and the new earth. Talk about a pickup line. Yeah. 
Hey, baby, you want to see the eon of mankind? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I call my dick. Crowley's encounters with Pan weren't just limited to visions, though. He also claimed to have a physical encounter with a god as well, which he believed helped him unlock the full potential as a magician and spiritual seeker. And let's not forget about the Scarlet Woman, a central practice in Thelemic philosophy that involved a male practitioner and a female practitioner connecting through sexual union. A.K.A. they fucking. Yep. Crowley believed that by connecting through sexual union, it was a powerful and transformative act that could help its practitioners achieve a deeper understanding of themselves and the universe around them. And who doesn't love a good transformative act? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Make yourself great again. <laughs> I think it's just really, really, really convenient that, you know, in order for him to do these rituals, there has to just be, you know, the sexual copulation. The magic isn't going to work unless we have sex. So just strap in, sweetheart. But I wanted to hey, go back to what you, you mentioned. You're not gonna you're not gonna get this movie part if you don't have sex. I mean Oh, you know, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's Crowley was no, like no. the first one doing it, buddy. <laughs> Jesus, the first fucking Harvey Weinstein. Pretty yes. much. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and on on that note, I wanna kind of bring up the idea of the Scarlet Woman, aka what they also called the Great Mother, aka the mother of abominations often associated with the goddess Babylon, who is seen in her most abstract form as the all-powerful source associated with female sexual impulse and the liberated woman. Again, a very important part of Aleister Crowley's rituals and religious beliefs. Again, go figure how convenient. So Crowley believed in order to quote-unquote connect to the Babylon through an earthly sexual union, the goddess would have to then have a living woman to occupy Babylon's spirit and act as an earthly avatar, or more specifically, that Crowley called the spiritual office of the Scarlet Woman. So when you mention the Scarlet Woman, you're basically talking about an, an earthly vessel for this Babylonian goddess to be inside of. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the Scarlet Woman. But conveniently again, because this guy is just fucking selfish, several women in Crowley's life would occupy the office of the Scarlet Woman, as it's called, because apparently Crowley liked variety. So we've got Rose Edith Crowley, his first wife, Mary D. Este Sturgis, Jeanne Robert, Robert Foster, Roddy Minor, Marie Rowling, Bertha Alamira Pickroll, and also Leah Hersig assisted him later in the initiation, still by his side, I believe, up until some of the later years in his life. But anyway, guys, through all that word salad, there's been several scarlet women. Mm. The Scarlet Woman ritual is often performed as a part of a larger ritual of the Gnostic Mass, which is the central practice in the Thelemic philosophy. The Gnostic Mass is a symbol of reenactment of the journey of the soul, and the Scarlet Woman ritual is seen as the key part of this journey. Overall, Crowley's relationship with Pan was highly sensual, sexual, which is probably why he enjoyed sex a great deal. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. even wrote a collection of pornographic verses under the pseudonym George Archibald Bishop titled White Stains. <laughs> I don't know what that's alluding to. Uh. Describing a variety of sexual tastes. 
In these writings, he regarded gay sex as uh, being especially powerful, which he discovered in North Africa when he had intercourse with his collaborator, Victor uh, Newberg, dedicating the act of pan and subsequently re uh, realizing that sex could operate as a powerful sacrament. The orgies of Bacchus and Pan are no less sacramental than the masses of Jesus, according to Crowley. And let's not forget about his relationship with Leah Hirsch, who was willing to fornicate with a, a goat for magic and helped Crowley in a ritual called Ipesis Umus. Damn, talk about dedication to the craft. <laughs> now, the old story of them having goat sex in order to, uh, you know, perform this ritual is kind of shrouded in mystery and rumor. I looked up sex with a goat and Aleister Crowley and everything else that went along with it. And it just seems like it's just a large number of rumors of Leah Hersig having sex with a goat. And they're just simply that a bunch of rumors, but it's not to say she didn't try. Apparently during the emulation of a supposed ancient pagan ritual in the Abbey of Thelema, Leah apparently tried to seduce a male goat to impress Crowley, but she couldn't quite get the goat to get it up, thus ruining the simulation of her having sex with the devil himself. So the old billy goat just wasn't having it, and they were not able to actually perform <laughs> the ritual, so to speak. Now, Leah was committed to being Crowley's hoe. She had... After Hold all, Hold on a second. I think that's when HR is going to reach out and tell you you can't use that word. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to make the joke earlier, like, this, basically the Scarlet Woman, like, I, that was like a polite way of saying "come dumpster" because that's really what he was. That's <laughs> what he was doing back. Right. <laughs> yeah. Back. No, in you're, the 20s. you're you're like you're real. You're really trying to church up. You being a sleaze bag, because you're like, oh mm -hmm. no, I mean, you're the Scarlet Woman. You're the, you know, the the earthly vessel for the goddess. You know what I'm saying? No, you're being used here. But you know, each to their own. What do I know? Yeah, I I think you know, you're kind of exactly right because he was just a real selfish asshole. Like this whole thing, like yeah. most cult leaders, and I know we're talking about the occult versus cults, but a lot of these fucking nerds, that's what they are, nerds who want to fuck. And unfortunately, if you look at all these rituals, it all involves him just pumping and dumping as much as he can. And I feel like a lot of these ladies were his harem and his harlots, you know, so to speak. And he talked them up real big and said, oh, you're going to be the Scarlet Woman to the vessel of the Babylon. And really, he's just like, just banging him until he either gets tired of him or something better came along. And unfortunately, he used up a lot of women in this process and also mm -hmm. fathered a couple kids in the wake of this as well. So, you mm -hmm. know, uh, the word cum dumpster, as vile as it is, is just about as vile as what he was doing to these women, I think. HR, I'm going to need to see if I can get a pass on this. Uh, please, uh, <laughs> I doubt you can. You know, email me back. <laughs> I doubt you can. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, anyway, she wrote in her diary, I dedicate myself wholly to the great work. I will work for wickedness. I will kill with my heart. I will be shameless before all men. I will freely prostitute my body to all creatures. And you're thinking, if she wrote that for Crowley, well, what did the great beast write about her? 
Splash the manure and piss from the sewer. Down to me quick with your tooth on my lip and your hand on my prick. I feverishly grip my life as it shrinks. How your breath stinks. He was a real fucking wordsmith, wasn't he? God. He was. I mean, a couple more verses involving golden showers, gonorrhea, menstruation, flagellation, scat, play, cocaine, vomit, rhyming like Dr. Seuss, and ending with... Leah, I love you. I'm going insane. Do it again. I mean, at least he ended with a nice I love you. You know. <laughs> Did he? I don't before know about he spit in her mouth. Yeah. <sighs> so... Their relationship was complicated, to say the least. Leia had uh, been a high school teacher in the Bronx with a spooky side. She had sought out Crowley while he'd been briefly living in uh, Greenwich Village. Uh As what happened with one who spends too much time with Crowley, they begin, well, fucking. And uh, fast forward to the start of spring, Leia had given birth to Crowley's baby, Anna Leia. And uh, then the lovers had formed a freeway with the baby's nanny, uh, Nanette Shumway, a woman they had met on their Arctic passage from New York to London. Nanette was a uh, recent widow whose husband had died in a car crash, leaving her the single mother of a little boy. And not too long after Leah popped out baby Anna, Nanette shared that she, too, was pregnant with the beast's offspring. What a fucking salacious scandal. Yeah. By the fall, little Anna, Leia's baby with Crowley, had died, and Leia, pregnant again, suffered a miscarriage. Sick with so much death, the adult couple turned an evil eye toward Nanette. Had to be that fucking nanny. She was fucking Uh jealous. The vibes never uh, chilled out between the romantic rivals. Crowley and Leia came to the conclusion that their third will had cast a spell upon the offspring, murdering them with magic. Crowley called Nanette out, officially banning her from the Abbey with an exorcism. Nanette spent the last weeks of her pregnancy living uh, with a peasant somewhere in town. Crowley did allow her to return after the birth of the baby, Astarte Lulu Panthera. Mm -hmm. And uh, after her wild entry onto this plane, Astarte was eventually shipped to the States to be raised by an aunt under the name of Louise Shumway. What the fuck, dude? Do you, like... You let her pop the kid out, and then you ship it overseas. You piece of shit. Anyways, Uh Uh she died in 2014, a Presbyterian great-grandmother who earned her living as a schoolteacher. So, I mean, at least she turned out good. (laughs) So, real quick here, at the Abbey itself, Hersig was really instrumental in guiding Crowley, you know, the prophet of the new Aeon. And, you know, as much trash as we talk on fucking Crowley, like, Leah did her damnedest to, like, support this guy and go out of her way to, like, truly be what she described to him, just, you know, his everything. Whatever he needed, she was going to do it. Um, At the time of despair, Crowley went on to write, What really pulled me from the pit was the courage, wisdom, and understanding and divine enlightenment of the ape herself. Over and over again she smote into my soul that I must understand the way of the gods. We must not look to the dead past or gamble with the unformed future. We must live wholly in the present, wholly absorbed in the great work. An assage of purpose delivered from the lust of result only. So could 
the pure and perfect bee. And of course, and you know, he went on to write, uh, you know, Leah Sublime, where he also refers to her vagina as the Hersig patent vacuum pump. Fuck. Fuck, fuck, fuck. What a fucking guy, man. What a guy. Yeah, this this fucking guy. Yeah, sadly, um, in June of 2024, um, Hersig, a.k.a. the Scarlet Woman, she stayed loyal to Crowley during a lot of money troubles and other painful surgeries for his asthma symptoms, and two of them found their relationship was suffering, so she wrote in her diary of his quote-unquote raspy voice that so jarred her that she wanted to scream. So apparently, he sounded pretty shitty towards the end of his life. Um... But, of course, you know, he didn't like the way that she was treating him, even though he was pretty much the aggressor. So then for everything she did, he thanked her by finding a new Scarlet Woman by the name of Dorothy Olsen. But this didn't lead Hersig to abandon her commitments to Thelema. So in her diary from this period of her life, it reveals that her continuing devotion to the great work and her renewal of her magical oaths, her ongoing invocations of Rahur Kut, and her consecration of herself as the Bride of Chaos led her to, in 1925, um, being asked to be served again by Crowley in a period as his scribe and secretary. So, like, again, a lot of abuse there, you know? Like, he treated her like shit, he kicked her to the curb, and then he begged her to come back just to kind of further push himself forward. So he's a real fucking asshole. Damn. Well, something we didn't include in here real quick about um, Leah Hersig. How old do you think she lived to be? 90? Because by Alistair's, you know, account, he kicked her ass to the curb, and then she became a prostitute to make ends meet, while he went on to, you know, again, continue to push himself upwards and forwards, Excelsior, and so on and so forth. Uh, She lived until 1975 and died at the age of 91 in Switzerland. Damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So take that, Crowley, you bitch. Anyways, so... Sean's right. He read my line for me. I I couldn't Hmm. find a way to end this episode. And I asked chatbot AI, like, yo, Jerry, hook a dog up. Write me an ending. And, uh, well, this is what chatbot AI had to come up with. So (laughs) test the waters. We'll see if it's any good. I'm reading a part that was written by Jerry, your, your fucking chatbot AI assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Crowley was a wild and crazy guy who believed in the power of pan and the transformative power of sex. Whether you agree with his beliefs or not, you have to admit that he lived life to the fullest. And who knows? Maybe we could all benefit from a little more wine, women, and song in our lives. Maybe just skip the goat fornication. <laughs> well, holy shit, that's not too badly written. That sounds like something I might almost write. Yeah, good job, Jerry. Oh, art imitates life. <laughs> proud of you, little. <laughs> proud of you, little buddy. Uh, I would like to just say here that um, you and old Jerry wrote 2,031 words. We finished out this uh, document with 3,189 words. So I, a human who bleeds when you punch me, added 50% more research to this episode. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did and so, job. folks, marks the personal vendetta I have against Preston's chatbot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't leave it at that. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I bet there's more to add. And I got to thinking, like, you know, we talk about how this resurgence of Crowley has happened in, mm-hmm. like, what, the last 20, 30 years. So, yeah. 
could there be, I don't know, maybe a modern day tale or modern day story that might kind of be reminiscent of Crowley and Pan? Mm. Well, picture this. A towering 40-foot owl statue, naked men prancing around in the woods, bonfires, pagan rituals, child sacrifice, secret underground caverns, sex slave, and Satan's bid to rule the world with national and international leaders as his leering, eager pawns. Sounds like a horror movie plot, right? Nope. <laughs> Just a typical day at San Francisco's Bohemian Grove. That's right, folks. This 2,700-acre forested beauty nestled along the Russian River near Monte Rio is home to the Bohemian's Club. And its annual summertime encampment of rich and influential men who gather each July to drink and act goofy in the woods with like-minded males. Presidents, former presidents, future presidents mingle with multinational CEOs and CFOs, military contractors get cozy and drunk with admirals and generals, corporate executives share dirty jokes with government poobahs and Supreme Court justices, and they all come together for the afternoon lakeside talks about such party-hardy uh, party themes as nuclear power and global economics. It's like summer camp meets a cigar-filled back room. The Bohemian Club insists on a complete privacy, which creates an air of mystery that adds spice to the juicy rumors. The club says Ooh. the annual event is simply a high-stress movers and shakers relaxing together with corny rituals and silly skits. Just guys having fun. But <laughs> conspiracy theorists have a field day. with And uh, tidbits have leaked out. The annual cremation of care ceremony at the foot of the 40-foot owl. Comic skits performed by men in drag. Drunken campers peeing on trees over a thousand years old. Uh, oh, and claims that prostitutes do brisk business just outside the camp boundaries. <gasps> From such details rise charges of debauchery, collusion with evil, and Satanism. Some less sensational critics warn that these outrageous accusations deflect attention from the genuine concerns about how the club is managing its property and how connections crafted during the boozy goings-on shape the nature's, nation's future. A fourth-generation Bohemian Club member, John Hopper, resigned from the club in 2004 in opposition to plans to cut down more than a million broad feet of timber on the property each year. <laughs> While many focus on wow. what happens inside the... Yeah. Uh, it's getting better. Hold on. I'm getting here. You gotta <laughs> give me some time. Good. Holy just... shit, man. You're good. Yeah. While uh, many focus on what happens inside the grove, it's important to understand the impacts on the outside world, assist Mary Moore, who co-founded the Bohemian Grove Action Network and organized protests outside the grove from 1980 to 2006. The Bohemian and Captain's more assists bring together the cream of this nation's military's government, uh, government, corporate, and financial circles. In the lakeside talks that are shaping the future of this country, it's like your ultimate back room on steroids, the ruling class bonding where, the, where they cut deals. And I'm going to bring it back around. Crazy uh -huh. man Alex Jones, 
who created the film Dark Secret, snuck inside Bohemian Grove, and also did a sequel called the sequel called The Order of Death, calls the Grove uh, campers the most powerful cabal on the planet. Your presidents perform annual child sacrifice to Moloch, Lucifer, Satan, and, and uh, the compound at Monte Rio. And he's got uh, he's got a film that you can watch on YouTube where he snuck in there and filmed the burning ritual, the cremation of the owl. And it's got uh, little snippets of uh, him talking to the members and some weird shit going on. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to make a connection here that I think that mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. if there's anything in modern day society where you could say some weird sex magic ritual shit is going down. It's this fucking place. Ah, interesting, man. I mean, that's got little interweavings of, like, Twin Peaks and some other wild shit in it. I know. I'm fucking mind blown. (laughs) Me too, man. Me too. What a fucking wild and wacky ride, man. I think it's worth mentioning here, too, that I think a lot of Crowley's fascination with sex magic comes from the idea that, like, like I said earlier, he was against organized religion from the get-go. Like, that was just his bag. But if you also look at the time, you know, we're talking about late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, he was a pretty much outwardly proud bisexual man. And a lot of his rituals would be involved with him having sex with another man, a.k.a. homosexual copulation. That in itself is a pretty powerful tool because of, A, how immoral it was by society, and B, just how taboo it was as far as religion goes. Like, two dudes having sex was pretty, pretty bad back then. So that belief of, like, ooh, we're doing something naughty, really, I think, just, you know, edged that ritual magic along a little bit more. And, you know, going out on a limb and doing that, everything he's risking was pretty, pretty important. You know, he's risking his uh, church at the Lima. He's risking his relationships with his wives. He's risking getting caught in public and, you know, being thrown in jail, all sorts of stuff. So, like, again, not going to condone what he did because he was a pretty fucked up guy for all the people he took advantage of and all the horrible stuff he did. But, like, that's, I think, why he was just so obsessed. (laughs) So obsessed, so obsessed with sex magic is because, like, in his eyes, everything he was doing was just desecrating the Bible and everything else, having multiple partners, you know, committing adultery, lusting after other women. He's just turning this Bible and the commandments and everything else just on its head. So sex magic, I think, is interesting in the fact that it's kind of like a tulpa. If you believe it's working and you see outward changes, then... To you, the magic is working. So, What do we got up next, man, on the next episode? Any idea, any summarization of what's about to happen? Um, so Aleister Crowley gets kicked out of England because he was in a dick-measuring contest. He may or may not have summoned the Messy Nessie. Uh, he falls off a mountain and survives. And it's like, fuck it, I'm better than Jesus Christ. Uh, he gets shot, <laughs> uh, says some racist shit about Chinese people, but spends five years over there. And then... Uh-huh. Um, uh, I don't know, raise some demons in Egypt. Uh, that's pretty much part two in a nutshell. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, episode two will be a hell of a lot bigger because Preston's already got about seven pages written, and that's before I interject everything that I want to talk about. So mm-hmm. dig yourselves a nice, cozy little nest to lay in because we're going to be probably going at it for, I don't know, next episode, I'm going to say it's probably going to be close to about an hour and a half, two hours. 
Yeah. And then um, we got uh, Jimmy Page, Zozo, uh-huh. uh, Led Zeppelin. Can't forget those guys. Yeah. Alistair Crowley and rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, he was a big influencer in rock and roll. That is for sure. All right. Well, until next time, folks, if you're on the social medias, please give us a follow on Instagram at PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, please give us a follow on there. We are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Preston, how we doing on the old YouTube? Uh, we've stalled out a little bit. We've lost mm. some gas. We're at uh, 264 subscribers, which I think that's okay. what we were at last time. So, look, if you're watching this, if you look below Baphomet that's floating on the screen with her, <laughs> you know, with the nice goat titties hanging all over the place, there's a little green splurt um, that says like and subscribe. You should probably follow those directions, and you should like and subscribe and share with all your friends. Because you know mm-hmm. what, we'd like to see the old YouTube sub, uh, subscribe subscription grow, and we can't do that without you, the faithful listeners. So do your boys a favor. There you go. And speaking of audio podcasting, apparently Stitcher is just about to uh, keel over. I got a notification here saying the Stitcher app and website will be discontinued as of August 29th, 2023. So make sure you export all your shows before that date. So if you're listening to us on Stitcher, please make sure you download another podcast app. You know, Spotify is where it's at, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, uh, Podbean, Google Podcasts. Definitely check us out on all of those as well. Or, you know, if you're listening to this, you might want to watch the YouTube. You can see where uh, HR and I have to reprimand Preston constantly. Constantly. Yep. I'm going to get a sash from HR that says Hall Monitor on it. Need a beard? Want a beard? If you want to grow a beard uh, that uh, doesn't require God spunk in it, because God spunk is kind of where it's at, I can do you one better. BigDobsBeardBomb.com. You just take a little little microscopic pea-sized amount of that, lather it in your beard. It will glow. It will shine. It'll, oh, my God, the smell's amazing. doesn't require, you know, God jizz in there. BigDobsBeardBomb.com. Promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Do yourself, do your beard a favor. Get it all. Get it at Dobbs. I like it. I like it a lot. I think Dobbs, if you're listening, that could be a new scent. God spunk. Just saying. I'm still, I'm still going for the dapper squatch, which hopefully would come way before uh, God spunk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a child. All right, folks. If you're in the Wichita area, please um, stop by see our friend, see our friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post Pawnee, Seneca.com. Okay, folks, brace yourselves. Episode two of this series comes next week. And remember, we're going to be live streaming Wednesdays and new episodes drop on Fridays. With that being said, I'd like to also say this with my glass of water. Cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that pixelated paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. 
Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and 